All right, welcome to the No Manga Podcast, a weekly show about all things skateboarding, and my name is Rick Beta. This episode, I have a fellow human, skateboarder, skate podcaster. He's also a professor of English and creative writing at Roosevelt University. And odds are, if you've read anything related to the topic of skateboarding in the past decade, you've probably come across his work, including his latest book, The Most Fun Thing, Dispatches from a Skateboard Life, which happens to be available now. Kyle Beachy joins me today. Kyle, welcome to the show, man. Man, thank you, Rick. It's good to be here, and um, I'm ready. I'm ready to get into it. Let's, man, let's I know. I, it's, I appreciate you jumping on. So, I mean, I, I don't want to start with just the basics, basics but I'm going to do that a little bit. I did some research on you. So, you, you were born in Ithaca, New York, currently living in mm -hmm. Chicago, but your heart mm -hmm. remains in St. Louis, right? Uh, that, that... Well, I mean, to some extent, yeah. I mean, that that might be uh, something I said in the last five years. Um, I, I don't know where my heart remains right now. <laughs> my heart is maybe floating about a little bit. My wife and I have recently kind of made a plan to, in our near future, to move to New Mexico. And I think my heart might have jumped ahead of time a little bit and is just waiting for me there in the deserts of New Mexico. But yeah, I, I was born in Ithaca, New York. Um, very soon after I was born, moved uh, to St. Louis, Missouri. And I spent you know, basically from 19, late 1970 until about 1997 um, there in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, so when I learned to skate and, and kind of came up and, and made my friends as skaters, it was uh, in that incredibly dire heat of St. Louis Midwestern humid summers. So I, you know, stayed very thin and, and didn't drink enough water and got dehydrated and did all that. But yeah, St. Louis was really pretty much, um, I, I still think of as my hometown for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it uh, too, I wanted to ask you, I mean, is it, is it safe to say you're a big like Ozzy Smith fan? Are the Cardinals your jam oh, huge, or what? Huge, huge <laughs> Ozzy Smith. I mean, Ozzy Smith was the first person I like gave any shit about at all. It, like any celebrity figure, Ozzy Smith was the first one um, that mattered to me at all. I mean, Ozzy Smith doing the backflips out onto the old yes. AstroTurf of Bush stadium was just, I mean, there was nothing cooler than that until like that was the coolest thing in the world until I discovered Mike Carroll. And then from it was Ozzy Smith and then Mike Carroll. And that, <laughs> those are pretty much my two my two guiding stars, I think. I, I love that. I had a feeling you would be because that's why I wanted to ask you. And, and per my notes, too, I put backflips were the one the, the two things that come to mind when I think of Ozzy Smith are backflips. Yeah. And and also how the dude, he literally could switch stance like hitting so he could hit left yeah. he can hit right. With no problem. Yeah. I'm like, dude, that's insane. Back in the day, yeah. that just blew my mind that could do, he could hit right handed, left handed. He also was, just, I mean, like, you know, if you have any interest at all in baseball, like he, he exists in a kind of echelon of defensive metrics that yep. nobody else does. Then he was doing it on, you know, this was a time when Bush Stadium at the time was this terrible AstroTurf feel that was essentially just concrete underneath it so the ball like ground balls hit yeah. ozzy smith would just skip along this super hard surface and his i mean his defense was otherworldly it was he was like truly magician level stuff um and yeah you know he he did it with artistry he did it with style he was just the smoothest cat in the world and that for me you know i just like sat there like my you know eyes big just just in love with what he was doing on the diamond. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reason why they called him the wizard, right? For all the, the points wizard. you just pointed out, man. That's it. <laughs> 
That's good. That's good. Yeah, a lot of a, a large percentage of listeners right now. What, is this a skateboarding podcast or what? What do we listen to? We had to. I had to get that out of the way. That was a personal question for me. There. We'll get there. We'll find our <laughs> it, way. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, also too, because I know like St. Louis is known for like like crusty but unique mm -hmm. spots. So how often do you get to like go down there and skate there? Do you if if at all? Too much. Um, you know, I'm down there. Well, you know, everything gets thrown, got thrown off in the last couple of years, but mm -hmm. it, pre the sort of um, quarantine and limited travel, I was going down, you know, four or five times a year, every couple months I'd be down there. Um, and I wouldn't go down there really without skating. Um, and I love, you know, St. Louis skateboarding does have um, a reputation, which is great because it's better to have a reputation as being a shitty, crusty town mm -hmm. than have no reputation at all. Um, True. And so that, you know, those guys like kudos to, you know, particularly the Kehoe brothers, Gabe Kehoe and mm -hmm. Alex Kehoe, um, who really started and kicked off the St. Losers thing. You know, they they have managed to make somehow against all odds, they've managed to make St. Louis a stop, a kind of national stop for tours that move through the country, um, which, you know, it 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 has no right being because the spots are, you know, it's terrible. The spots are very, very hard to skate, but they're also like in incredibly compelling to look at, you know, that yeah. there's one spot in particular that I don't know if it'll stand out to you, but there's like this, it's basically a handrail with this incredibly crusty asphalt bank next to it. Um, and, you know, anytime you see anyone do a trick into it, you just know, like, my God, that that took a great deal of work. Like that, yeah. the, the risk of rolling down that incredibly gravelly rough asphalt um, coming in over that handrail, it's like, it's 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 impressive. And so, yeah, I think, I think those guys deserve a lot of credit for finding the sort of hidden gems in a city that is largely unskatable. True. Yeah. I mean, the one that the part that sticks out to me more recently was Max Wheeler's uh, stained part. Yeah, dude, like killed it. And I, I just was like, I was amazed. Like, I'm like, how do you even just roll on that, yet alone do tricks and roll away yeah. and not yeah. get just shredded? Yeah, Max is, you know, there's been kind of there, there's always been a king of St. Louis or a royalty of St. Louis. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was it was a guy named Tim Bruns. Um, and Tim Bruns kind of passed the torch. Maybe, you know, this is all the sort of thing that people in St. Louis will hear and just get all up in arms. Like, how dare you say <laughs> Tim yeah. Bruns was, a but you know, uh, and then like, like there was a guy named Joe Herbert and Joe Herbert kind of passed the torch to Randy Placer and Randy Placer kind of passed the torch to Alex Kehoe and Alex Kehoe has sort of passed the torch to Max. Wheeler and Max Wheeler is just like he they are just the the, the raddest ripper I've ever seen you know yeah I've come out of St. Louis and the fact that they're out in LA now and, and working with weekend I think is super promising yeah so it was yeah it was just amazing part amazing part yeah yeah, yeah. And, and now I know like this this show is about skateboarding you know we're both skateboarders and we're both actually writers as well but I'm gonna selfishly kind of go heavier on the writing side if that's cool for you like the topic of writing sure yeah. okay cool yeah, so we'll, we'll go back just a little bit. So your first novel was published in 2009. And, you know, you've had, you know, on record, you said, you know, it's kind of been a kind of a transformation since then, you know, 10 years is a long time. But uh, I want to know, like, how important was it that uh, Jennifer De La Fuente entered your life around that time? Hmm. Um, so my my first novel was published in 2009, like you said, but the, you know, like with this book, this sort of... Uh, like with probably any book, right? I mean, this is one of the challenges is that we see a book come out and we have no idea sort mm -hmm. of the path that the book took to get to where it is on the shelves. Um, my book was finished, I finished 
I, I believe I finished the first draft around like 2005. It took hmm. me about three years then to find um, an agent and an editor who were interested in it. Um, Jennifer De La Fuente at the time was working out of San Diego, um, was kind of new to publishing fi- or representing fiction. She's an agent. And, you know, she was the 118th agent that yeah. I sent my manuscript to. So I got a lot of rejection along the way to, to finding Jennifer. And, uh, you know, I remember being being downtown uh i had just taught a class or something and jennifer called me on the phone and said you know hey i'm interested in representing this book and i just like you know i'm i'm not i'm not ashamed to admit that i'm a person who cries fairly often but that that we that cry downtown when finally after 100 plus agents had told me no there's no way i'm interested in this book um i wept man i wept with relief and joy um and so, yeah, I mean, she took a chance on me, uh, a very young editor at the time. His name is Noah Eaker, who has gone on to just sort of ascend rapidly the world of New York publishing. It was his book, first book that he was able to acquire. So agent was taking a chance on me. Editor was taking a chance on me. Um, and, I, you know, I'm extremely grateful for them for taking that chance. Uh, the book itself was you know, like like a lot of first novels, it's semi-autobiographical. It's drawn very much from my life in St. Louis. It was a very personal book. Um, and I still do, you know, I look back on it very fondly. Um, it, but still, at the same time, it feels kind of small to me. You know, it feels like the work of a young man. You know, hmm. I started writing that when I was 22 years old. Um, it just took seven or eight years for it to get published. Yeah. And that, and that, number 118 really does stand out i mean we can relate <laughs> to it to skateboarding right we tried tricks for 118 tries or less or whatever but that's a i mean i think of it as like a writer's perspective and that, and that's a big number i mean uh, anyone out there who's tried yeah. to pitch us just even if you can relate to like sales you're trying to pitch to a company imagine trying to pitch to someone for 118 times and you hear the word no it's not right yeah. it's not good enough so it, it says a lot about you you just kept going man you just you never gave up much like we do in skateboarding and you just kept trying and it paid off yeah, I, I appreciate that. Now, one thing I should add, though, is that along the way, I did have enough sort of nibbles, right? There were enough people mm. who were sort of like, mm, you know, there's something here, but it's just not right for me or whatever it yeah. was, right? And so I was, I at the same time that I was getting that sort of um, frustration and, and, and despondency and thinking like, my God, is this ever going to work out? I was still getting those little kind of glimmers along the way. And, you know, the thing is, is you end up sort of latching onto those glimmers and you just, you like milk them for all their worth. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a, str- and, and I talk to my students about this, you know, it's like, it's, um, the the writing life is one that is going to be full of frustration and um, hearing people tell you no uh, for anyone, right? I mean, geniuses for everyone across the board. It's just um, a fact of what what the existence looks like, you know, as it is for actors and as it is for any kind of performers or for comedians, you know, anyone who is attempting to put their work out there and share their thoughts and their language with the rest of the world. Um, and, and I think there is, there is a way, you know, and this is the sort of basic, um, skateboarding lesson that, 
we hear everywhere that, you know, we're accustomed to failure and so on. I don't know that it's just it, it, that that alone is it though. You know, like I fall a lot, but I also give up all the time on True. skateboarding, you know, more and more these days. Like if I'm trying to trick five or six times and it's not there, I'm happy to walk away. I'm happy to be like, no, yeah. something else today. So, you know, yes, we are accustomed to failure and yes, there is an overlap between the sort of failure that you encounter as a writer and the failure you encounter as a skateboarder. Um, but the desires are very different too. You know, I wanted more than anything um, to publish a novel. And so because I wanted it so badly, I was willing to kind of put up with and, and endure that sort of trial and tribulation. Very good point, you know, and I totally relate to you on the, you know, I, I think we're kind of close in age. I think I'm a little bit older than you, but, um, yeah, it's like, dude, you can tell right away if something's not going to work. Oh, I tried five times. I'm not going to get wrecked on this one. Yeah. It's not meant to be. I have no yeah. problem walking away as well. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and we have to because, I mean, you know, there's like a finite amount that you can put up with these days physically. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think the same goes for sort of like, you know, psychologically or emotionally, right? Like, I don't like getting in that place anymore. And I was there this morning. I actually had a little freak out this morning at the little temper tantrum when I was trying a trick and I ended up like, you know, you sort of watch yourself pick up your board and throw it now. You know, it's, you're sort of like, oh, there I go. Like, here goes, here goes like the little temper tantrum brat in me picking up the board and throwing it against the fence. Um, and you know, like, I don't want to be there. Like, I don't want to be there anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I know that that's part of the frustration of skating and I don't want to be in that space much anymore. So often when I feel myself getting toward that, I'll sort of just back away and say, save it. Let's, let's focus on something else. So dude, that's so relatable, man. I, I, and I find it, you know, as I get older, cause I know my limitations, I know what I can or can't do. I know how hard I can push myself, but you still, you still like, like, I like how you describe, it. you see yourself picking up the board and throwing. Mm -hmm. it's like, you kind of snap and you lose it for a moment. You know, I think even like in my earlier twenties, I used to like spit on my board. Like that was okay. like, I'm like, I would just be so disgusted. I was, I'm like, not think back. I'm like, dude, that was so lame. But yeah. you know, I was caught up in the moment, whatever, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I've I guess, always, no, go ahead. Sorry. Keep going. Keep, no, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, is it even possible? I mean, for you, I mean, I guess, I mean, what mustering up the energy to write versus skating, can you even compare the two now? Or is there a different mindset you get into? Like, cause writing's hard. I, I know for sure writing is very difficult and skateboarding is very difficult as well. Is there a way to even kind of compare those two or how, what's your, what's easier for you, I guess, to kind of get in that mindset. I mean, so that's interesting. Like for me, the challenge of writing really these days is, um, actually closing the door and sitting myself in the office and, and sitting down and focusing on the thing, you know, I mean, the parts of writing where I find the most joy are, are the parts where I'm taking something I've already written and I'm making it into something I believe in, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's what, what we essentially call revision, which for me is probably about 95% of the writing process. Yeah. Um, the hardest thing for me is to sit down and do the drafting. Um, so, you know, I find little ways to kind of trick myself where I have like a, a little journal that I use and I sit down somewhere beautiful and I write by hand and then I like kind of do the work in my on my computer later. Whereas skateboarding, you know, like the, the real joy of skateboarding is kind of the opposite of writing. It's sort of knowing like, okay, today I get to go skating. Yeah. Or like in an hour I get to go skating. Um, and so, you know, the challenge really comes with 
creating once you're there and you're in it. And the question is, do I keep trying this or damn, I just really cracked my shin very hard. Am I going to just kind of pack it in and go home? Or boy, I sure would like to open this beer, but I know that once I open <laughs> this beer, the session is more or less over. Yeah. Um, so for, you know, the challenges are kind of like for writing, it's really like, getting into it because once you're into it it kind of keeps going for me whereas with skating like the joy is getting into it and the challenge is like to to keep yourself sort of productive there yeah but, but again like so much of this comes down to expectation like i give myself permission pretty much whenever i want it to stop skating it's like ah this ain't happening or boy, I do want that beer or boy, I do want that second beer or geez, I want to get home and start barbecuing or whatever the thing is. Like mm -hmm. I'm pretty comfortable these days stopping skating. Um, whereas with writing, you know, that sort of responsibility is still there in the back of your head saying like, yo, if you don't do this now, you're not going to do it today. And then it's, you know, one more day that you haven't written and you got to get in there. So I hear the kind of voice of responsibility barking in my ear a lot more with writing than I do skating. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So, I mean, when you're locked in, you have a deadline or whatever you need to do, you have to, you have to say no. You have friends like, hey, yeah. what are we doing tonight? Oh, dude, I, I have to write. I'm locked into my, you know, and they have to understand that too. Whereas, you know, like you said, skateboarding, you're actually going to go skate sometimes by yourself or with friends. You're going out versus, you know, basically locking yourself in a hole and, and writing. Yeah. That, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Laser yeah. focus, you know. I mean, much like in skateboarding, you got to have laser focus if you want to commit. But yeah, like you said, it's, it's easier to flip that switch for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And and much like the title of the book, too. I mean, you you talked about the word fun, you know, and you, you had I, I loved what you wrote about in the book, too. And you talked about how it pertains to like your skating and your writing. But as for, with both, I mean, you have to love what you're doing. Right. I mean, how how important is that to you to even make both of them fun? I mean, it's hard to make skateboarding fun and it's hard to make writing fun. But how do you manage kind of bringing the fun into both of those, mainly the writing, too? Yeah, I mean, I guess with writing, it's 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 been a lot more of a kind of quest to discover an approach that um, even allows room for fun, right? Mm. I mean, you know, I think, I've, and I've spoken about this a lot in the last few weeks, but I think, you know, I think it's there in the book too. Like a, a lot of my challenge with writing has been that at a certain point, I decided what success meant. Mm -hmm. um, and I was kind of a young person when I decided that, and I've, I've continued to hold myself to that. Um, and that's, you know, that's dangerous because, you know, 22 year old Kyle deciding what success looks like holding that sort of ransom over 43 year old Kyle, that's, that's just ridiculous. Like I didn't know anything at 22. And so why would I listen to 22 year old me decide what success looks like? And so a lot of, a lot of what I had to learn was the stuff I kind of, that just kind of came natural to skateboarding, you know, like I think everyone who skates, a lot of people when they start skating have a sort of dream or an ambition of becoming a sponsored skater. Yeah. Right? Like everyone has a sort of dream of getting footwear, getting hooked up, being like admired and, and, you know, being able to travel and see the world because of skateboarding. Um, I knew pretty early that I maxed out, like I would max out at like a shop sponsorship. That's pretty much it. You know, I got some free boards um, since then because of writing, I've gotten some free stuff from skating and it's been incredible, but like, I never, I never fooled myself into thinking that I was really good at skateboarding. I've always pretty much seen my limitations and despite those limitations, been able to have just an incredible time riding a skateboard. 
So there was a real difference in, in my two approaches. Like on one hand with writing, I had this incredibly high bar of what success meant. Whereas in skateboarding, I had this very low bar of what success meant. And I still had this great time. So somewhere along the way, I had to learn to take kind of my approach to skateboarding and allow it to bleed into other parts of my life because I was doing it naturally with skateboarding, right? Like, oh man, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I'm not very good. It doesn't matter that the people around me are better. I'm still having a great time. Whereas with writing, it was this constant kind of holding myself up to my own idea of success, holding myself up to other people's success. Um, and because of that, it was never fun. It just couldn't mm -hmm. be fun. Um, so I think for a, a lot of it really just came down to like learning how to see writing, learning how to see the, the activity of writing and the sort of artistry of writing um, as something more like skating where it's like, yo, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing and that's it. And like, people are going to like it. People are going to not like it. You know, I think when I saw... I remember when those early articles went up on Jankum and I remember getting some of those comments on Jankum, which were just so ridiculous, you know, like, fuck you. Like, how dare you take skateboarding seriously? Or like, <laughs> God, this is the most try hard shit in the world. It's sort of like, oh, okay. Like, that's yeah. okay. That's all right. Um, and so that was a kind of important lesson for me. Like, oh, not, no one's going to like it. Not everyone's going to like it. Some people are going to think it's the worst thing in the world, but that's okay. Yeah, I love that answer, man. Very, very well said, dude. I mean, mm. I, very excellent, excellent info. So, and also I've uh, on my notes here. So your editor, at least for this book, Wes Miller, he's also mm -hmm. a skateboarder, right? So yeah, is that a good thing or a bad thing though, as a skater and a writer? <laughs> it's the best thing in the world. I, I mean, this book wouldn't have been published. Um, you know, I, I don't know that for sure, because um, the way it worked out is I was circulating a novel that I've written that's about skateboarding. Hmm. Um, Wes is the only editor who saw all of the essays put together and said, hey, this could be a, a nonfiction book, right? Nice. A whole lot of editors saw the novel manuscript and, and you know, said, ah, pass, 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 pass. Mm -hmm. Wes is the only one who said, hey, let me see something else. Let me see these articles that you've been written, writing and let's see what they look like together. Um, if Wes had not been a skater, he never would have known about the articles. He, you know, he never would True. have seen the Andrew, uh, the Andrew Reynolds yep. essay on Jankum. He never would have um, kind of been a little bit of a fan of the essays. So it never would have come together. He also is just like, it, you know, there were some things along the way where we were kind of turning the essays into the book that they became where he had some, you know, basic questions like, Hey, what about your first kickflip? Um, and so he would push a little bit in places where I, for whatever reason, maybe would have overlooked it, or I would have thought like, uh, I don't know, that feels a little, um, you know, like it's, it's a little traditional to like talk about your first kickflip. Um, so he would push me into saying like, well, no, talk about it in a way that feels interesting to you. So he kind of, he knew he knows enough about skateboarding and knows enough about the kind of ways that we talk about skateboarding to kind of remind me that there there's value in some of those classical traditional conversations right you know yeah. a lot of a lot of my approach has been like let's stop 
Let's avoid all the stuff we've been doing forever. Let's not, never ask each other about our first board or whatever, because, you know, it's like, God, I'm so tired of that question where Wes would remind me like, Hey, there's a value to that question. Like if, if you can approach that question from a different angle, you might find something else there. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for the way that Wes um, went about editing this book. And I don't think I, this book would exist if he weren't a skater. So best thing in the world. Frankly. That's awesome. And, and when I was reading the book, I was cracking up when you just mentioned first kickflip because I can't remember my first kickflip either. And, I, and no. I think you, I remember you saying, I can't remember if it's on one of those big wide boards or a popsicle. Mm -hmm. I'm the same way, dude. I have no idea when I did my first yeah. kickflip and it sucks because sometimes I want to relive that moment in my brain. And go, oh yeah. I remember it was um, yeah. this day. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, the two best pieces of skateboard content have right now are, are there are two there are two kinds and one of them is the like secret secret gopro like person is turned pro surprise party like yeah. i will always watch any clip of you you know amateur skateboarder walking into a room and being surprised by their pro board like that's yeah. the best shit They're i think that human humankind has ever come up with Agreed. i think that's top-notch content love second it. best thing and maybe even better is all of the clips we're seeing now of like young person lands first kickflip young <laughs> yeah. girl does first kickflip like it's just the happiest shit it, that you can imagine and so i'm so happy for these people that they have these this footage of their first kickflip but like you like i do i wish i had it i wish i could tap into it i wish i could like recall what kind of day it was or yeah. where, whose driveway i was in or what <laughs> yeah. board i was on or who was there like i would love to have that but i just don't i have no idea i know i was just dying i, I related so much to them well like, yeah and i and I, I try to overthink i'm like okay what if it happened here and then i'm like i i don't know i mean it's it just yeah. it sucks but i laughed on that that was, that was a funny part but Good. so regarding all the stuff you mentioned about wes so how what was it easier or was it a pain in the ass to kind of deal with notes and like, how do you incorporate them or do you ignore them? Or do you kind of find a balance between the two when they say, Hey, like you said, try this first kickflip, you know, and, yeah. and incorporate that. I mean, there's the best editorial relationships are, are clearly those that um, have a sort of bedrock of trust. And I, I, I pretty quickly came to trust Wes. Cool. Um, and you know, the, the, the easiest way maybe to earn that trust. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of reasons to trust an editor, their reputation, their sort of credentials in the industry and publishing, what other authors they've worked with. But for me, it's really about how do they respond to the manuscript itself? And what was clear in the way Wes read and responded to my manuscript was that he got it. Like he mm -hmm. saw what I was up to. Um, and that that is a sort of surefire direct path to earning my trust. And so once I, once I knew that he saw what I was up to and believed in what I was up to, it becomes very easy to kind of take notes and, you know, sometimes you got to sit with them. You know, I never respond to an editorial note the day I get it. I always give myself a night to sleep on it because your first reaction is always like, fuck that. No mm -hmm. way. Like that's stupid. But then, you know, you live with it for a minute and it becomes clear like, Oh wait, maybe, maybe there's something there. Um, and you know, more times than not, the editor is right. And even if the editor isn't right in the solution to the problem, the editor is almost always right about where a problem is. Um, yeah. you know, I've worked with an editor before who's like tactic seemed to be 
give me bad suggestions for solving a problem. So he would point to a problem oh, wow. and give me suggestions that he knew I would be like, oh God, that's miserable. That's a terrible suggestion. But it was so kind of catalyzing. His bad suggestion was so bad that I would come up with my own solution very, very quickly. I'm like, God, no, not that. But here's the solution. That's um, awesome. I like so that. he would like trick me into fixing the manuscript. Uh, so, you know, editors are very good at their jobs, you know, like for the most part, an editor who is working in Midtown Manhattan has probably found their way there for a reason. True. And with Wes, you know, being a skateboarder, you can't really sneak anything by him, you know, anything skateboarding related, you know, I mean, I know, well, in, in writing related, but mostly specifically the skateboarding stuff, you know, you had to be on point, which I knew you, you would be anyway, but you know, you no, can't find anything back me, him. He knows. You know, he caught me a couple of times. There were a couple of times, and I wish I, I could go back. I have, you know, I have the manuscript. There were a couple notes that he gave me where I like called something frontside or backside. And he was oh, like, yeah. and he was like, actually, no, that was something else. Um, so no, I mean, it was on that level, just sort of fact-checking level too. I will I'll also say that Mark Suchu read uh, an early version of the manuscript and he did more fact-checking than anyone. Like he came at me with like, there's a line in the, in the Nike essay where I talk about the Nike chapter where I talk about um, a Stefan Janowski nose slide. And I said, somewhere in France. And Mark was like, actually, you know, I just wrote to Stefan and it's not in France. It's, it's in Northern Spain. And I was like, <laughs> wow. oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact checking that went into this because, you know, skater, the skater audience was saying earlier there, they know that you're not going to slide anything by exactly. them. So yeah. On that level, having Wes, having Wes be a skater was like another set of eyes, another <laughs> set of kind of saving me from, and I, and I haven't heard a lot yet, but I know there are things I got wrong in that book. And I'm just kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. Nothing stood out to me, but now I got to look back with a fine tooth comb. And I'm going to find it, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's funny you mentioned Mark Suchu because he had great things to say about the book as well. Actually, he summed it up perfectly. Like if I could steal one review and kind of steal it and make it my own and slap it on social media, I would put that one because that is he summed it up perfectly. He nailed it. It's exactly what that yeah. book is. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But, I mean, you know, the, again, to Mark's credit, like, you know, when I asked him if he'd consider offering a blurb, you know, he was first of all, just very honored. You know, I know Mark, Mark is a serious reader. And so I think for him, it was an opportunity to, to participate, you know, and in, in the practice of literature. Um, I will also say that he took it very seriously. You know, he sent several options um, and, you know, he read the book at least twice. You know, he, this, awesome. this is not some, this is not a responsibility he took lightly. And I'm super grateful for the time, time he gave it. That's cool. And, and as we know, he's a skateboarder, of course, but talk a little bit about writing for like the, the outsiders or the, the normies, you know, and you're incorporating skateboarding, but you're also, tying into a story yeah. as well. And, and how did you make that look so easy? I guess is my question. Cause you nailed it, dude, in my opinion. Um, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, part of that is testament to Wes, you know, Wes was kind of the, if there was a sort of constant pushback he was giving me, it was, Hey, we need to keep in mind that there are, we're not just writing for skaters here, right? That, you know, in an ideal world, um, you find that sort of balance between. Um, and, you know, that makes sense. Wes wants to sell books. Um, mm -hmm. Wes's publisher has made an investment in the manuscript and they would like to earn back what they've paid um, so far for it. My, my interest is 
I'm, I'm super ambivalent on that. You know, like it's, it's always been a kind of tough thing for me to think about audience for anything. You know, it's a kind of a trap for a writer to think about who's going to respond and how, you know, I have kind of in my head um, three or between three and six people who I want to write for. Um, You know, I want, I want my wife who's a poet to find the writing full. Mm-hmm. Um, I want a couple very smart novelists who I know to read it and think, oh God, that's, that's, that's pretty good stuff you've written there. Um, and you know, what, what I don't ever think about is, um, a sort of general reader sitting on their couch on a Sunday. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. that's very, very dangerous. Um, and I also, you know, at a certain point there's, there's, there's a challenge with trying to reach too many people where the, the work itself becomes just sort of, um, bland mm-hmm. you know like th- there's there's a sort of movement in publishing these days in u.s publishing to make every book as appealing as possible and and in service of appealing to as many readers as possible you kind of water down any of the sort of backbone or soul or heart that the book might have so, so at a certain level it's kind of like well look some people are going to be excluded but that's that's like that's what a that's what a good book does. Like a good book can't appeal to everyone. You know, Harry Potter appeals to everyone, and God bless people who love Harry Potter. But like, that's work with the broadest kind of appeal possible, and that's not what I'm interested in. Totally. Yeah. I mean, your first novel, The Slide, it received like praise, great reviews, and you know, in regards to actually book reviews, I mean, do the bad ones matter more than like the positive or good ones? Like in your eyes, like. Like to me personally? Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to hear praise, but do like the negative or bad ones kind of matter more to you? You know, I, the the sort of thing that I keep telling myself, I believe, and I I think if I keep telling myself, I believe this, I will eventually believe it, um, is that, you know, any... If a work isn't, if a work isn't divisive, if a work doesn't inflame some sort of bad reviews, then it's not doing its task, right? You know, I mean, my ideal sort of balance of on Amazon or Goodreads or whatever the sort of ratings are, I would love to have all fives and all ones. Like that would (laughs) be perfect to me, Mm -hmm. right? Like uh, that's that's it, that's what I'd love. you know, as far as like actual reviews go, like, you know, institutional or organizational book reviews, you know, the worst thing in the world is not getting any, you know, like the yeah. worst thing is silence. Um, if someone reads the book closely and is able to say like, here are the problems with it, that that to me is a success. You know, I mean, what I want is to create a thing that um, a reader will kind of spend time inside of and experience. Um, and that's all I could possibly ask. I can't ask people to like it. I can't ask people to agree with it. I can't ask people to have the same kind of experience that I have when I go and read it. Um, but what I, what I can hope for and request is that, um, it earns people's time. And so Mm -hmm. if someone gives it time and finds like, this is garbage, I disagree with this for all of these reasons. And even more so bonus is able to put those reasons into words then I'm perfectly okay with that. That to me is like, that's what literature is. It's a conversation. So yeah, yeah, a good bad review, I think can be just as satisfying or beautiful as a, a good, good review. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that says a lot about just your, your arc, I guess, from, you know, 2009, I'm sure, you know, everyone loves to hear praise, but 
you kind of mm-hmm. figured out, okay, you know, you're going to learn more from maybe these negative ones, or, you know, you're going to be more humbled, you know, just all the things that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of go with, with, with recognition, you know, but it's not easy. You know, I'm sure it was very mm-hmm. difficult for you, you know, for many years, like, you know, cause you want to hear the, the greatest things ever, but it's cool to hear that you're in that mindset. Now you're like, you're, you're accepting what, you know, what you get with these reviews. Yeah. And I think part of that, I'm, I thank you for saying that. I think part of it though, is just as simple as um, your first book, you, you don't know, you think it's going to change your life. Like, you know, and I talk to my students about this all the time. Um, putting out a book does not change your life. Um, and so by the time you get to the second book and you're putting out the second book, you, you know, a lot more than you did the first time through. And so your expectations are just naturally a lot different. Um, and there's a relief there, you know, like I know not to get too high on the positive stuff and certainly not to get too low on the negative stuff. Um, and that's really just experience, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. just age and experience and kind of going through the machine a couple of times. Um, and, and, you know, if there is, if there is something to offset the, the difficulties of being a skater in, in our forties, you know, the, the beauty of it and the joy of it is the fact that we have this kind of learned wisdom, this kind of earned experience, experiential knowledge to know, like, it's going to be all right. You yeah. know, can get through this. And, and just my give a shit factor, just in my forties now, like, I used to worry, oh God, I gotta be like the best skater at the park or whatever. Yeah. Now I could be the old guy in full pads and not give a shit, dude. I'm like, whatever. I'm I'm just yeah. I'm having fun, yeah. man. It's like yeah. and, and yeah. that comes with no, age cool. and experience, you know. It's like whatever. Yeah, I mean the 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 best thing that I, I remember one day, I, I think I was at the Hard Rock Cafe uh casino in, in Las Vegas. And I remember because I've always been very like attuned to what's cool and I've always worked pretty hard, it seems to me. All right, spent a lot of my work life working to to be cool. And I remember being, and I don't know, I must have been in my mid-30s or something, and looking around <laughs> and realizing, like, oh God, not only am I not cool, but it's perfectly okay to not be yeah. cool. And you know, it I I wish I had been one of those people who has that realization at age 20 or whatever, you know, yeah, I know. That, that sort of like the super cool person who doesn't care. It took me a long time to learn to not care. Um, but I can say that now that I'm on the far side of that, it's, it's much better way to live. Oh, it takes so much pressure off. Like just, just being able to vocalize. Yeah. yeah I, I, whatever. I don't care. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's so yeah. huge. Well, I guess uh, actually one person, cause I saw Mark Gonzalez is holding a picture of your, a copy of your book. Are you, have you heard from him? Have you heard any feedback from him? Because I think if anyone, like if I wasn't, you know, I mean, your situation, I'd be like, what'd you think, Mark? <laughs> have you heard back yeah. from him? I, I've, no, I haven't heard <laughs> from him. Um, I don't, I don't expect to hear from him. I mean, okay. what I do know is, what I do know is that he was, he was happy to, to receive it. And that nice. to me is, you know, to, to have that sort of connection, to, to know that he opened it up and, um, engaged it you know i don't know how much he'll read of it i don't know uh you know what his level of engagement will be but i know there was there was enough there that i felt very satisfied that's awesome yeah i saw that and to have the photograph of it that yeah i mean that's pretty much that's pretty much bucket list shit you know there's been enough bucket list shit in this last kind of few months getting in thrasher getting to talk to mark um i don't i don't i don't have much more that i feel like i really need to get out of out of writing a book about skateboarding so at this point anything at all is kind of just icing bonus hell, 
Hell yeah. Well, actually, you were reading, you were reading my mind. And my next question was, because I, I read your interview in the, it was the August issue of Thrasher. And for one, I was going to say, how did it feel to be interviewed the MAGA? And I know it's awesome, but are you going to frame those pa pages or that issue? Are you going to, you know, keep it in a little protective case? I mean, I could, I, I see, <laughs> I can glance to my right and see three copies of it sitting yeah. on the shelf, that August Thrasher. Uh, you know, there, it, that was rad. And part of that was, you know, I'm, I'm dear friends with Ted Schmidt, who's mm -hmm. been, you know, a, a friend and a colleague on our podcast, Vent City, but also yep. has been working his way more and more into the mag. And, you know, Ted does good work and Ted cares about things. Um, and to have him interview me was really wonderful. But not least of all, I, he did the interview while I was driving um, down to Louisville. So I was in the middle of indiana alone in my car um and his first question like out the gate was like super thrasher like you're not very good at skating so why would you write a book about skating and i was yeah. like fuck dude i thought i thought we were friends I know. um so yeah no it was great it was great i like kudos to him for staying in the sort of you know hellride ethos and and coming at me as thrasher should it was great yeah no that was good that was a funny read man and he was just like what are you why are you writing a book like this you know skaters are a lot of skaters are dumb this or that and your answers are perfect it's like nah dude come on it's come on but i i because I, I read it and i heard your voice too but then i also heard ted's voice so it was, it was a great read yeah. in, in that magazine <laughs> yeah agreed thank you yeah so um i got a, only a couple more questions for you i know uh, we got to get wrapping up but um, one of them was, you know, because, you know, this book has kind of gone down, you know, the traditional marketing, you know, publishing route, you know, <clears throat> how challenging is it going to be or will it be to kind of get the, uh, you know, the book into skate shops or kind of more accessible for skaters in, in our shops? Um, it's, it's hard. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the fact that I have a big New York publisher, uh, Grand Central is a division of Hachette. Um, which is, you know, one of one of the larger international publishing houses. Um, they have a very kind of tried and true machine for publicity. And so it's been hard. It's been challenging trying mm -hmm. to get them to understand the value of having the book in skate shops. Um, you know, I, I continue to fight to find a way to get a book into get books into skate shops and not just have it be like me driving around the country and doing, uh, you know, like uh, selling a few copies to the stores. Yeah. Like I, I want to find a way to get it in there. Um, to, you know, on, on that end, uh, Jim Thibault at Deluxe has been, I've been working with him and we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to make a way, trying to find a path for it to happen. You know, the other challenge is, is that uh, I get texts from people in the Netherlands or I get texts from people mm -hmm. in Denmark who are like, hey, how do I get the book? And I, I have to say, like, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I don't know how that works. I don't know how that happens. You know, that the, the shit of this is, is that the switching industry, the machinery of it um, is very rigid in the way that they go about their business. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know if that would, be, that would be different if I had a smaller independent publisher. It might be. It might be that there's a lot more flexibility there, more creativity there to figure out solutions to these problems. Um, but it has. It's, it's been a frustration. Yeah. Uh, my hope, though, is that it's a little less time sensitive, you know, like my hope is that if it ends up in skate shops in October, that people are still interested, that this isn't just a like, you know, summer big release event, that this is, this is a book about skateboarding that, that 
you know, like the books that you'll see in skate shops, like Sean Cliver's book, like the Thrasher book, like, like any of the books that you'll see in the, you know, in the sort of display case at a skate shop, my hope would be that this is one that can live there for a while and continues to find readers that way too. I agree, man. And you mentioned uh, Jim Thebo. I think you're in good hands, man. You're at least he's going to get the ball rolling and, you know, he'll, yeah. he'll pay, pa pave the way for you. So it was good to hear that he's, you're kind of working with him too. Cause that, I think mm -hmm. it too, it's, it, it should be in skate shops and, and it's not as easy as you driving around the country and throwing a box on the, on the, right. the sidewalk, you know, that's right. a right. challenging thing. So cool. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers for that too, to get, getting, you know, here soon. So um, I just got one more question for you and right. it's, it's not related to skateboarding. It's not related to writing. But I just have to know. Okay. So okay. isn't peeing onto ice like the most satisfying thing ever? Peeing onto ice? Yes. Like in a urinal or yeah. like out in, yeah. in the wilderness? In a, in oh, a I urinal. love pee peeing onto ice in a urinal is exceptional. I mean, it, it stops the splatter. Yeah. Um, and it also gives you that sort of sense of accomplishment, right? Like exactly. you do, you're doing something. Yeah. <laughs> I also really like peeing onto ice like out in the wilderness. You know, Dude, I think. I think creating a hole and enlarging that hole as you go is just one of those sort of like really minor, minor joys of being outdoors. So yeah, for sure. Let me ask you this, Rick, where does that question come from? Exactly? <laughs> I did my research, my friend. <laughs> I, I, I stumbled I upon that. it. I'm like, I got to ask Kyle about this, man, because I find it fascinating too and satisfying, but you added a bucket list item too. I got to try that outside. I'm, I haven't tried that outside. I might go outside right out. My wife will probably catch me in the backyard in the next few minutes. Where are you? Where do you live? I'm do in San Jose. Winters? Okay. Yeah. San Jose, okay. California. Yeah. So you don't, you don't have like brutal, brutal winters to. No, I, it would have to be after like a barbecue, throw it onto the ground, do my mm -hmm. thing and you know, make sure no one's around. Maybe next time you're in Tahoe or up in that area, take a yes. trip. I mean, you snowboard i can see so yeah <laughs> there's 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 opportunity there that's true man oh i'm glad i asked that question man i'm glad you asked me where did you get that question from how, how did this come into your brain rick <laughs> uh no that's well done that's, that's awesome that's, that's a deep dive that's a that's a b-side hey i try man i try so I, I guess we've reached the part of the episode where you know you can kind of plug what's going on next are you even going to write a book what do you got in the works you know plug your social media, you know, where can the listeners find you basically? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, it's, it's, you know, fortunately, uh, my Instagram handle and my Twitter handle are both the most fun thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just the title of the book, which worked out well. Um, I, I have another Twitter account that I use for sort of more civilian, uh, activities and talking about books and stuff. That's just my name, Kyle Beachy. I guess the thing that I'm most excited about right now, quite honestly, is an appearance that I'm doing in, um, an event in New York in September on September 9th. Um, it's going to be rather than you're the sort of traditional two authors talking about the book that's just come out. We're going to do a panel and it's got some pretty exciting names on there. I don't know that I'm able to disclose them all yet, um, but it's going to be a big event. It's a bunch of people who know skateboarding and know writing um, and other creative endeavors sitting at a bookstore in, um, in Brooklyn at McNally Jackson um, talking about it, talking about both writing and skating and and artistry and so on in the struggle so i really look forward to that that's awesome can, man um but to have this sort of event 
Thanks. Yeah. So I'm really excited for that. And then otherwise, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on whatever sort of writing is. I'm writing some fiction again, um, but also working my way into thinking about another book of nonfiction that might follow up um, this, this skateboarding project, but maybe um, open it up a little bit to see, see where else we can, we can kind of take some of these thoughts and questions. So much, much to be developed with that though. Um, for now, it's just, it's exciting to be on the other side of this project and mm -hmm. think about, think about what's next. That's awesome. Well, I mean, all I got to say is you, you did it. And, and mm -hmm. what I mean by that is you wrote something that that's a, a fantastic read for skaters, non-skaters, you know, and it's going to be enjoyed across the globe, around the globe. I enjoyed it. It was a great, you know, and what I really enjoyed about it was like your honesty. It really shines for anyone who's listening who hasn't read it yet. And I love the fact that you wrote about your challenges with marriage. You know, I don't know. We didn't really talk too much about that. You know, Kay and, and your wife and the skating and just finding the time to balance all your writing. So I, I just had to, you know, chime that in. I, I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed this conversation. So, and it was nice meeting you, man. So I appreciate, you know, your time. Man, I appreciate that very much. I, I appreciate your comment. Um, it was, it was a struggle, you know, writing is a struggle as you know. And so to, to hear to hear that I I might have I might have achieved what I set out to do is is really wonderful and then yes uh, thank you for having me man this is great I'm, I'm I'm pleased to have this time to talk thank you yeah dude and and you're, the doors open come back anytime man no pressure on getting a book done in the next couple of years but you know it, projects down the road reach out to me we'll we'll make it happen again man it's been a pleasure hell yeah thank you Rick it's a treat to meet you and I'll wish you well likewise my friend have a good one. 